Duncan Watts wrote a book several years ago titled, Everything is Obvious, with an asterisk after the word obvious. And then when you look at the bottom of the book title, there's this phrase, once you know the answer. Everything is obvious once you know the answer. And it's a book uh, which is a critique about common sense. Often we assume there are simplistic answers to complicated, perplexing problems. And when we proceed on that assumption, we get ourselves in trouble because sometimes common sense works and sometimes it doesn't. Sometimes the answers to the problems, uh, are, there's nothing simple about it at all. There's nothing formulaic about it at all. Sometimes there's just mystifying issues and we just don't know, like this season that we're in. There's no strategic plan for the sky is falling. So we just proceed step by step, by faith, pleading with God for wisdom, and trusting Him each and every day, one day at a time. So we're talking about how we are to respond when we're in that perplexing situation. We're talking about how we're going to respond and reply. We're talking about who we're going to turn to. Who do you turn to when you are in a mystifying circumstance? When you're perplexed, when you don't know the answer, who do you lean on? And you're the leader. You're responsible for the lives of others. You're responsible for your team. Someone said anxiety is contagious. And all too often, the most anxious person in the room ends up having control of the room. The remedy to anxiety is a leader who brings peace into the room. So how are we equipping ourselves to bring peace into whatever perplexing and anxious and mystifying situation that we find ourselves in? Well, if those questions resonate with you at all, I think that you are going to benefit, we're going to benefit from a study in the Old Testament book of Habakkuk. Would you take your Bibles and meet me in the Old Testament book of Habakkuk? And we're going to study the life of this prophet, this prophet named Habakkuk. Now, I'm going to read chapter 1, verses 1 through 11. Today, we're going to do an overview of Habakkuk, and then we're going to have some lessons for our lives today. The oracle that Habakkuk the prophet saw. O Lord, how long shall I cry for help and you will not hear? Or cry to you violence and you will not save? Why do you make me see iniquity? And why do you idly look at wrong? Destruction and violence are before me. Strife and contention arise. So the law is paralyzed, and justice never goes forth. For the wicked surround the righteous, so justice goes forth perverted. And then the Lord answers Habakkuk. Look among the nations and see. 
wonder and be astounded, for I am doing a work in your days that you would not believe if told. For behold, I am raising up the Chaldeans, that's the Babylonian Empire, that bitter and hasty nation who march through the breadth of the earth to seize dwellings not their own. They are dreaded and fearsome. Their justice and dignity go forth from themselves. Their horses are swifter than leopards, more fierce than the evening wolves. Their horsemen press proudly on. Their horsemen come from afar. They fly like an eagle, swift to devour. They all come for violence, all their faces forward. They gather captives like sand. At kings they scoff, at rulers they laugh. They laugh at every fortress, for they pile up earth and take it. Then they sweep by like the wind and go on. Guilty men whose own might is their God. This is God's word. <laughs> wow. <laughs> I mean, this isn't exactly the 23rd Psalm, is it? The Lord is my shepherd, I shall not want. He makes me lie down in green pastures. He leads me beside still waters. That's not this, is it? This is more like paratrooping behind enemy lines into a war zone. And that's exactly what Habakkuk is experiencing in his life right now. Uh, we don't know a lot about Habakkuk. Habakkuk doesn't introduce himself thoroughly at all really, in this book, that doesn't seem to be a priority. What seems to be a priority is the fact that Habakkuk is in a situation where he is absolutely perplexed and mystified, and things are not obvious. There are problems, and there's a crisis going on in his culture, and he's looking for help. He's looking to the God of heaven. You know, why don't you do something? Surely you have been in seasons of your life when you've said that to God. Why, why don't you do something? Why does this continue? Why does it feel like you're sitting idly by? Well, I want us to look at the book of Habakkuk and learn lessons for our lives today. And the way I want to do this is this morning, I'd like to just give an overview of Habakkuk. I want to look at his world, and we're just going to go through three chapters of this short book, and then I'm going to give us a big idea and apply it to our world. So we're, we're going to look at Habakkuk's world, and then we're going to look at our world. And let me just stop and tell you why all of this matters. Church family, one of my responsibilities as your pastor is to prepare you for the day of your calamity. Habakkuk is about to face a calamity and the Lord is preparing him. And if you haven't had a calamity in your life yet, you're going to have calamity. You know, there are three groups here at Windsor Road Christian Church. There are people who have been through a calamity. There are people who, have, who are being in a calamity. And then there are people who are going to be in a calamity. And you're in one of these three groups. And, and one of my responsibilities as your pastor is to prepare you for the day of your calamity so that when that day comes, not if that day comes, but when that day comes, you will praise the Lord and not curse the Lord. You will worship the Lord and not reject the Lord. 
You didn't ask for it. You don't want it. But it's come upon you. And now, what will you choose to do? And I want to help you praise the Lord God on the day of your calamity. Habakkuk helps us do that. So let's consider his world and then lessons for our world today. Well, Habakkuk's world begins about a thousand years before the birth of Christ with the united monarchy of Israel. Three kings, Israel's first three kings, Saul, David, and Solomon, uh, ruled in what could be called Israel's golden era. After their respective rules, the kingdom divided. Ten tribes to the north, called Israel. Two tribes to the south, called Judah. They had different capitals. They had different temples. They had different kings. They were divided. Every king in the northern kingdom, except for one, the scripture says, he did evil in the eyes of the Lord. And God sent prophet after prophet and said, if you will please do justice, love mercy, and walk humbly, I, I will come to you and the, the, the land will be healed. But they rejected God. And finally, God sent the Assyrian Empire and swallowed the ten northern tribes of Israel and they dissolved into history. Now, you would think that the two remaining tribes called the nation of Judah or the kingdom of Judah would have learned from that, but they didn't. And so Habakkuk comes on the scene. Somewhere between the years uh, 630 B.C. and 600 B.C. And Habakkuk is a prophet. Scripture says the oracle that Habakkuk the prophet saw. Now, there were prophets who were kind of eccentric and um, prophets who kind of lived in the field and exotic but then there were other prophets, prophets whose vocation took them in the temple. And scholars think that Habakkuk was a temple prophet. 1 Chronicles 25.1 speaks of those who prophesied musically. They were instrumental, lyric prophets. And they, they prophesied, the scripture says, with lyres, harps, and symbols. And scholars think that Habakkuk may have been a temple prophet. So we, he would have lived in Jerusalem, in the temple. And the reason why we think that is because Habakkuk chapter 3 is a psalm, and there are instructions as to the tune which this psalm is to be sung and the specific stringed instruments, uh, instructions to the choir master. So Habakkuk is this prophet, and, and Habakkuk has a problem with God. He just, he's called upon, though, to communicate God's word to God's people. And typically for the prophets, how that happened was this. The prophet saw the Lord, heard from the Lord, 
and then communicated the message from the Lord to the people. And it was more or less one-way communication. But that's not what happens in the book of Habakkuk. In the book of Habakkuk, he sees a Lord, he has a vision of the Lord, he hears the Lord, and then he turns back and says, are you kidding me? Why, why don't you do something about this? How long shall I cry for help and you will not hear? So here you have the inner world of a clergy who is perplexed at, he sees God being idle and indifferent in the face of rampant evil that's going on. And he wants to have a word with the management. <laughs> and so the book of Habakkuk is organized simply. Habakkuk speaks, and then God replies, and then Habakkuk speaks again, and then God replies again, that's chapter 2, and then Habakkuk prays. And there it is. Two exchanges and a psalm of prayer and praise. That's Habakkuk. Let's just quickly walk through this book here this morning, beginning with Habakkuk's first exchange with God. He's just mystified that God would seem so indifferent to the evil that's going on in Judah, in the temple, among the clergy, and the national leaders, and the culture. He says in verse 3 of chapter 1, destruction violence, strife, contention arise. We're supposed to be a, a united people serving one God under the rule of, of His living Word. But no, verse 4 says that God's Word is paralyzed, God's ways are being obstructed, and God's truth is being perverted. How can you let this go on, God? As Habakkuk is talking about the injustice that's happening within his very own culture. What are you going to do about it, God? And the Lord answers. And this is significant because so many times in Scripture and in life, right, it, we just don't hear from God. And we don't know why. He has his purposes. We don't even know those purposes. But here, God speaks. And that's really, this is really important. Because when God speaks, he's speaking because he intends to act. God never expresses an idle word. God doesn't just speak to inform. He speaks because he intends to act. And this is what he says to Habakkuk. He says, Habakkuk, here I am. Look, look among the nations and see and wonder, and be astounded. I'm going to do something that you would never believe, you would never think of. And then he says this in verse 6. Here it is. I am raising up the Chaldeans. I'm going to raise up the Babylonian Empire. So right now, the Assyrians are, are kind of in charge. Their power is waning, but God says, I am raising up the Babylonians. They think they're raising themselves up. They're not. I'm raising them up, and I'm raising them up for a specific purpose. I'm going to use the Babylonians to punish 
my people because my people have rejected me. They want to be like all of the other nations. And so they've passed the point. And now Babylon is going to come and they're going to take them into exile. And the way the Lord describes the Babylonians, that's terrifying. He uses these uh, word images, horses, leopards, wolves, eagle, this terrifying nation. It's so interesting because this terrifying, horrifying nation is described very poetically and very stylistically as if the Lord is communicating this is not impulsive. This is intentional. This has been thought through for centuries. I've begged my people to turn to me. They do not want to turn to me. I will therefore give them over to the ones they want to be like. And when they come, uh, it's, going to be, it's going to be ruthless. Verse 9, they all come for violence. That's the first exchange. Well, then Habakkuk offers his opinion. You're going to what? How is it that you can use an empire that's more toxic than Judah to discipline Judah? I, I just, verse 13, you who are of purer eyes than to see evil and cannot look at wrong, why do you look idly at traitors and remain silent when the wicked swallows up the man more righteous than he? So Habakkuk is just on tilt. His circuits are fried because he just doesn't understand how God is going to use toxic evil to eradicate evil. How, how does that solve the problem? I just don't understand. And then Habakkuk almost stubbornly says in chapter 2, verse 1, I will take my stand at my watch post and station myself on the tower and look out to see what he will say, say to me. So I, I have a question that I would like answered and I'm just going to stand here and wait until you answer my question. That's bold. But what's even more amazing than that is God responds again. That's chapter 2, verse 2. And the first words out of God's mouth are, right. Get this on paper. I want this recorded. And God says, I, I, I understand your concern, but I want you to know something, Habakkuk. I'm not only going to judge Judah, but I'm going to judge Babylon as well. Just wait. Just wait. And in chapter 2, verses 6 through 19, God explains why he's going to judge Babylon. Five woes, five curses upon the Chaldeans. Woe, numbers one and two. This culture has taken on such irresponsible indebtedness for the purpose of self-promotion and self-enrichment. Chapter two, verse nine to set his nest on high, to be safe from the reach of harm. Woe, number three. They've, they've built towns with slave labor. That's what it means in verse 12. Builds a town with blood. 
founds a city on iniquity. And then verse 15, woe number four. The Chaldeans are cursed because of their drunken orgies. And then verse 19 of chapter two, idolatry. Woe to him who says to a wooden thing, awake. So idolatry was the engine that's driving all of this. Uh, idolatry is when we make anything an ultimate thing over God. Idolatry is when we ask a thing to give us what only God can give us. And the Lord says, Babylon's going down for that. And while all that chaos is going on, chapter 2, verse 20, the Lord is in his holy temple. Let all the earth keep silence before him. While evil is consuming itself, while evil is imploding, while all the chaos is collapsing on itself, the Lord is in his holy temple. He's sovereign. Let all the earth, all of the Hebrew people, all of the Gentile people, all of the people groups over all the earth, let them be silent and in awe before the Lord who is in his holy temple. And then, in Habakkuk chapter 3, Habakkuk writes a psalm based on a vision that he had of God the King coming to save his people. God is coming as King because only God can be King. Only God can be King. And he is a saving King. Chapter 3, verse 13. You went out for the salvation of your people, for the salvation of your anointed. And then it says, you crushed the head of the wicked. Doesn't that sound like Genesis 3, where the serpent's head is crushed by the seed of Eve? I can't help but think of how the toxic evil of crucifixion eradicated the evil of my sin by grace through faith in the king of kings the lord jesus christ i mean habakkuk is is witnessing god's salvation and he just can't comprehend it from where he is but chapter 3 verse 16 says i i i hear and my body trembles and my lips quiver at the sound and then he says this, yet I will quietly wait for the day of trouble to come upon the people who invade us. So Habakkuk, Habakkuk realizes what his immediate future is going to be like, but the Lord has given him a vision of the Lord's future. And Habakkuk waits in trust. And there we have these last three verses, this beautiful verse where Habakkuk says, the fig tree should not blossom, neither fruit on the vines, 
the produce of the olive fail? I mean, I, I, when I have nothing, when I have nothing, Habakkuk says, yet I will rejoice in the Lord. I will rejoice in the Lord. Habakkuk is about stubborn, resilient trust in the God who reigns over heavens and earth even when there's chaos in one's present circumstances. That's Habakkuk's world. And that's the book, church family. Now, my best big ideas for our messages come straight from Scripture. And so here is the big idea. It's taken from Psalm 62, verse 8. The psalmist says, Trust in Him at all times, O people. Pour out your heart before Him. God is a refuge for us. There it is. Uh, You could put it this way. God is our refuge. God is our safe room. God is our panic room. Pour your heart out. Put your trust in. Pour your heart out. Put your trust in. Pour your heart out. Let's talk about that for a moment. Elizabeth Elliot was a missionary, and she once said, faith does not eliminate questions. Faith just knows where to take them. And in Habakkuk, we hear the heart of a a clergy who is taking his questions straight to heaven in the form of lament, biblical lament. Turn, complain, ask, trust. Turn, O Lord, complain, how long? Ask, why? And then trust, trust. Pour your heart out. God wants us to pour our hearts out to Him. Tell God your hardship. Pray your worries. Pray your anxieties, your fears, your questions. The Apostle Paul says in Philippians chapter 4, verse 6, Do not be anxious about anything, but in everything, by prayer and supplication, with thanksgiving, present your requests to God. In other words, Paul is saying there's no reason for you to be afraid of pouring your heart out before the Lord. He desires this because he desires you. Habakkuk says the righteous will live by faith. And biblical lament is an act of faith. You see, some of us think that to turn to God and complain to God and to ask God is, is, and to, to say how long or why, that's a form of doubt. I don't believe that. I believe it's a form of faith. Deep faith. Habakkuk wasn't having a crisis of faith. He's persevering to believe. I believe, help my unbelief. So can we be a church where we affirm those who struggle? Can we affirm those who have questions? Can we be a church where public stories are shared by those who have learned to pour out their hearts? Can we be a church that welcomes those who struggle spiritually, emotionally, psychologically, 
Can we be a church that says to those whose mental health requires prescription medication, yes, brother or sister, we are grateful to live in a time where we can receive the gift of medicine and we want to hear how you are. Can we be a church that sits quietly with those who grieve? And not to have to say anything, but just sit in silence and let our beloved pour their heart out to the Lord and let the Lord's people pray and encourage them. Listen, you can be possessed either by anxiety in life or the love of the Lord, but it's hard to be possessed by both. And God wants you to come to Him so that He can love you and put you in the protective custody of His peace. Listen to me, I believe this. This world, virus and all, is the safest place to be if you're in Christ. If you're in Christ. So pour your heart out to Him. Pour your heart out and put your trust in. Chapter 2, verse 4, has this very important verse. But the righteous shall live by his faith. Now we often think of faith as doctrinal content to believe, or uh, to agree to, or to assent to. And yes, that's true. And it's broader than that. Faith is not just belief in the Apostles' Creed. Faith is reliance on a person. God, I am depending on you. I am relying on you. You are sending a storm my way for reasons that I may or may not fully understand. But I will trust you even when I'm mystified by life. You see, Habakkuk is not writing after the fact. He's not writing after the storm. The storm hasn't come yet. The storm is on the horizon. Babylon hasn't arrived, but Babylon is coming. The squall line is approaching, and it's dark, and it's ominous, and even a faithful prophet like Habakkuk will not escape. And we don't know what happened to him. We don't know if he was killed when the Babylonians came or if he was uh, sent to exile as well. You know, others suffer from others' sins. And Habakkuk just made peace with this truth. Lord, no matter what, I will trust you at all times. I don't have to understand what you're doing to trust that you are always good. Listen, if you have to feel like you've got to comprehend all that God is up to before you'll depend on all that God is, then you're never going to trust in Him. In the 11th century, a church leader named Anselm spoke these words. He said, I believe in order to know. And it's based on what Jesus said in John 7, 17. If anyone's will is to do God's will, he will know whether the teaching is from God. Faith seeking understanding. And so for Habakkuk, it's this question. Am I willing to trust God when every visible reason suggests otherwise? Am I willing to put my faith in God and rely upon God and believe that God is good even when His goodness is not 
recognizable. Can I be satisfied in God more than anything else when I suffer? Ah, it's easy for me to be satisfied with God when I'm on vacation or when I, I get my dream job or when I get a raise. But when I see the storm coming, help me trust, Lord, that my security is not in the absence of the storm, but in the presence of Christ, who himself saw the storm of crucifixion coming and who himself lamented why, and yet he entrusted himself, the scripture says. He went to the cross as the ultimate righteous one who lived by total faithfulness to his heavenly father. 1 Peter 2.23 says, When he was insulted, he did not insult in return. When he suffered, he did not threaten, but entrusted himself to the one who judges justly. For Jesus, resurrection life was through a dying body. And beloved, that's the path that he calls us on. That's his way. And so when a direct hit is coming and it's unstoppable and it's inescapable and, and you don't know why, even then, because of the death, burial, resurrection, and ascension of the one true king, you can be satisfied in the God of heaven and earth more than anything else. You can say what Habakkuk said in chapter 3, verses 17 and 19. Though the fig tree should not blossom, nor fruit beyond the vines, the produce of the olive fail, and the fields yield no fruit, the flock be cut off from the fold, and there be no herd in the stalls. Here it is. Yet I rejoice in the Lord. I will take joy in the God of my salvation. God, the Lord, is my strength. He makes my feet like the deer's. He makes me tread on the high places. Can you say that? Um, no, let me go deeper. Can you sing that? See the last line. To the choir master with stringed instruments. On that day of dark clouds and deep mercy, God is inviting us to sing our trust in Him. Oh, church family. God is our safety. God is our refuge. God is our panic room. Are you, are you panicky? Go to the panic room. God is our panic room. God, pour your heart out. Put your trust in. And God's people say, Amen.